Are you looking for a great way to be a better leader in today's world? Well, look no further. You're here at the Still Loading Podcast, where we explore leadership for the digital age. We collect all the best practices, skills and tips that you'll ever need so you can start being a better leader today. I'm your host, Ilona Brannan, and this is definitely worth listening to. Hello, in this week's episode, I am chatting to my longtime friend and also my partner in crime in all things leadership development. Now, Nicola Scott and I have been friends since we met all the way back at university, which is a while ago now. But what's brilliant is we've been working together with a client to help them with their leadership development at scale and in a remote first way. So we've never met these people and they never meet each other. It's a completely remote first company. And we have had such an amazing time designing and implementing and experimenting with this to really optimize it for this client. And we've had phenomenal success. The feedback has been really positive and we've used and utilized the tools available to us, the tools available to the client to really drive that behavior change over time. And, you know, this conversation is fantastic because Nicola will share all of her expertise in this episode about leadership development. You get to hear about our own design sort of process about how we go about designing these things for our clients. And also you are able to then understand a little bit more about sort of our philosophy and approach to things. And also Nicola shares with us her own experience of uh, developing as a leader. And what I thought was great was Nicola actually was a leader in a remote first way before that was even a thing because she used to be a regional manager for a retail organization and she used to have to travel around. So you know, remote leadership isn't actually as new as you potentially think. It's just the modality, like it being digital, that makes it new. So really, there are some best practices and tips and tricks that she can use when she applies it to working with this client that we've been working with. It's a great episode. Let me know um, what resonates with you and keep me posted. Hello, hello, and welcome to Still Loading. This is your host, Ilona Brannan, and today I'm delighted to be introducing you to my uh, friend, uh, long-standing friend now. I don't really want to admit how long we've been friends for, but also (laughs) my co-collaborator in creating leadership programs for the digital age. And she is a leadership consultant, master coach, L&D wizard, magical mama of three beautiful babies and a great wife to her long-standing husband, Jamie. <laughs> Hi, Jamie, <laughs> by the way. Um, so yeah, I want to let her do the rest of the talking and I'll stop. So Nick, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Anona. What an introduction. And yeah, I mean, the years that we have been friends, it goes goes way back. We've been through a lot. Um, and this is a really exciting time, I think, for us and what we're collaborating on and what we're creating together. Really been enjoying it. So a little bit about myself, professionally, I guess, first and foremost. Yeah, so I am a coach, not technically a master coach. I don't want to give myself that badge, but I am an accredited coach. Um, so I have been through a brilliant coaching qualification and training and do a lot of upskilling for myself in that world it's the thing I do that I am most passionate about and I love the most anyone else who is a coach will understand it's more of a 
a kind of a vocation, really. It feels like a calling sometimes to be a coach. And then in my other world, so I'm experienced in the world of learning and development. So I do a bit of learning and development consultancy. Um, and then I do a huge amount of um, development and delivery of content for programs for leaders and managers. And I, I think where I'm finding myself specializing at the moment is a lot of those kind of frontline first line so those managers who are like their first job and their first job as a manager and they're learning and finding their feet and having all kinds of wobbles and thoughts and feelings so I've had an absolute it's an absolute privilege and an honor to be honest to support a lot of people now and in the early stages of their leadership and management careers so I have got experience in that world having been a leader and, and manager for a while in, in a challenging environment, but the bit I love the most, the bit I'm best at, the strength of mine is then supporting other people through that that big transition and what I think is one of the most challenging jobs. Of course, there are super hard jobs out there, but in a kind of more corporate setting, managing and leading people is so hard. Um, it's full of challenges. So any help and support I can give people in that world, um, that is what gets me out of bed every day uh, to work and feel like I'm not really working a day in my life at the moment. So I'm really enjoying that. And then personally, yeah, you mentioned I've got three small kids. So I'm a busy working mum trying to run a business and a household. Um, I've got gorgeous twin girls who are four and um, an equally gorgeous boy who's nearly eight, um, frighteningly. So I've been doing the working mum thing for quite a few years now. Um, mm. And I finally reached a big milestone recently where all three of my children are now in full-time school. So big transitions, big changes for myself as well, I think, professionally and personally. How's that? Is that a good enough intro? <laughs> oh, yeah, though, absolutely. I mean, I'd love to kind of have a little bit more exploration around this transition that you've had from working in-house for L&D and then setting up your own thing. I mean, that in itself is its own leadership development journey. What sort of sparked you to do that? Um, I think for me, it was just a question of I am I'm not a person who can just carry on regardless with the status quo. If something's not working, if something doesn't feel right, I won't do it. I won't carry on. I have to stop. and I have to course correct. I need to make the changes. I won't just sit and complain about like, woe is me. My life is this. We all do that sometimes. But I am a person of action and moving forwards to, relentlessly to the point where I drive my husband slightly nuts, to be honest, because I'm <laughs> always looking for the next change. Like, what can we do now? Um, so for me, professionally, things just weren't working when it came to trying to balance sort of being a mum of three. The real game changer was having the twins and going from one to three kids. Suddenly you're outnumbered and they are a priority always, your children. But I was immediately anticipating the future, like far too far ahead, really. Um, and going, what am I going to do when I have three children at school and I'm working a full time job? You know, the average what amount of time kids have off school is 16 weeks. Schools mm -hmm. are shut for 16 weeks a year. And if you're lucky, you get I don't know what it is, like 28 days holiday a year. You maybe get sort of five, four, five, six weeks off. Some people get more. Some people probably get less if you're working full time. And 
that that math doesn't add up <laughs> um, quite quickly. So I've been on a bit of a journey since I had my first child really all those years ago of trying to build up to this moment in time where I didn't want to be, for me, like being a full-time parent was not an option. I love working. I found that out just in the nine months that I took off after having um, both my babies as in I had two at the same time. So it was only twice that I did maternity leave. And I did, I'm going to end up rambling about this for a while. So I'll try and be careful not to, but having my first baby and then I came back after my first period of maternity leave and I did a complete like career change at that point but within an organization so I've been very lucky to have that support within the businesses that I've worked in I transitioned to working part-time and I transitioned to an office-based role whereas prior to that I was in a field-based role which just I, I couldn't see how to make it work job share wasn't an option at that point in time that was a full-time role so they gave me a new role so I was really lucky in that sense and had a complete pivot to then instead of being a regional manager I became a learning and development manager and put a lot of skills and knowledge that I'd acquired within that organization to good use to help and support new people new recruits new managers etc and then I had the girls and then I moved more into a more of a coaching role when I came back to work and yeah, things just just didn't didn't click. It just wasn't working for me. I I just we talk a lot in the world of coaching about one of my favorite coaching questions is like, what are you tolerating right now? Mm-hmm. And you ask people what they're tolerating, and then you can assess if it's worth tolerating or not. Mm. And for me, I was tolerating a lot that wasn't worth it, and I had to make the move. So I was really lucky. I took voluntary redundancy and I used some of that money to invest in getting my professional coaching qualification finally. And then literally whilst I was on that course for a couple of weeks, I applied for a role and heard back from them really quickly, interviewed, et cetera, and went and did a maternity cover role. So I'd made a deliberate sort of transition into more temporary work, um, more short term work, knowing I was building my experience and my knowledge of different organizations so that I could then set up on my own at some point. It's a long journey, right? There's a long story here because COVID happened and that delayed everything. But I think for me, a really big part of my journey at that my most recent in-house role, I had the most supportive team, the most supportive manager, because I was upfront from the word go that my long-term goals were to set up on my own and run my own sort of coaching business. And they were just incredibly supportive because I was on a temporary role. You know, I wasn't a permanent member of staff. Mm-hmm. I was there to do a job and I did a great job. I looked after it and I'm very proud of what we did there. And I'm, I was massively 100% devoted and dedicated to do my absolute best work in that role. But all the time I had my eye on, you know, what the next kind of steps were. Um, yeah. So and it's I think, a really, really long game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it always is with, with career because career, the etymology of career is, uh, I think, to go forward. And I like, because it's like uh, from a French word, like, I'm not going to do the French properly, so I'm not going to do it, but it's like to move forward, if you can think of like carrier and something like that. And I like that idea because actually it's not about one particular moment, it's about the whole process. Mm. Um, And you hit on something really important there, I think, for kind of thinking about the digital age. I think there is an increase in this kind of temporary contract. So you're not necessarily going to be in a long-term contract in one particular organisation forever. I see an increase in temporary contracts. But as you say, 
it's almost like we all need to approach this opportunity with temporary contracts or, you know, these these windows of working as, um, you know, an opportunity both for the organisation to get the best out of that person while they're there, for that person to grow in that role. It's not, if you actually looked at the macro picture of most organisations as well with people in their roles, most people change roles every two years anyway. So Mm -hmm. it's a complete misnomer to think, oh, that person's in the same role on the same job and doing the same thing for the whole of their career. It's not like that. And I, I think, you know, that kind of mindset shift, I think the companies that adopt it and they think, right, I'm going to, you know, use this interim cover or I'm going to think about how to use people more strategically is going to be a game changer because things are changing very quickly. And I mean, we have worked with a scale up recently. And I know that for me, working with scale ups, the reason I like them is because they are a different company every 90 days like they are just different because <laughs> yeah. of the way that they're changing and the way that they're scaling so why would you not use temporary cover but like strategically and with impact rather than thinking I'm just going to plug a gap yeah you buy in some skills right and I think we probably all know when you're on a temporary contract you an employer's paying a premium usually for that that contract but you equally as the contractor don't have the same employee benefits that that other people mm. have and that's a decision that you make And I think, yeah, you buy in those skills, you buy in that knowledge, you buy in that fresh lens of a way of looking at things. And for me, it was as a maternity cover position. And I built a really brilliant relationship to this day with the person I was covering for because I was, and that's another thing that I'm really passionate about, like to my core, I knew I was taking care of that job for her. I was looking after it for her. I didn't want her job. That's her, it's her job. I'm looking after it while she goes and does something else over here and does a brilliant thing and has a baby and cares for her baby and herself. And I'm going to then make sure that this job and this ship is well looked after while she's away. So she can truly do what she needs to do, but come back knowing that things have been looked after. And so that's another kind of, I'm sure we'll get onto that, but there's sort of like that whole maternity piece is something I'm super passionate about and supporting people through that process. And I think, yeah, like what we were saying, so that's that buying in those, that skills and knowledge and then really gain it. Everyone can gain in that situation. And it's been my attitude, whatever role I've done, whatever business I've worked in, it sounds like a selfish attitude is that what's in it for me question, but I would take every opportunity I had to learn and develop new skills, get new qualifications. If an employer is going to pay for you to go on some training or pay for you to gain a qualification, why would you turn that down? To me, that's madness. I'm going to work hard and I'm going to get what I can. And, you know, I've got a diploma in wine tasting. I'm a certified educator in wine. I've got a coaching qualification. I've got strength skate practitioner training. These are things that I, some of them I've paid for myself and some of them I haven't. I've got a level five CIPD. Like I've done a lot. It's all in there. A lot of it has been employer funded and it helps. I think it helps everyone do their best work. We're all playing to our strengths, aren't we then in that situation? Yeah. And I, I think with with the you know your story, I think what's coming up for me is that it's really it's really a game changer if the leader sort of works with you and it like builds with you because some people may be quite like oh well you're only here temporarily just do what you've got to do and not actually invest in you but it sounds like the leaders that you have had when you've transitioned or gone into a different role or you're doing temporary cover they've been really supportive and I guess thinking about that then who is a leader? who has influenced you on your own journey? 
I had a lot of like, I really thought about this and I reflected and I don't want to live in a world where this is a point to even make, but I want to labor the point that I came up with three and they're all women. (laughs) Um, And I don't want that to be a thing. I want to be in a world where that's not a thing. Um, They're just leaders, not a female leader. They've all been women and they have all been. There's like a general theme running through where you absolutely highlighted the first one, which is they have been very supportive of me and what I'm trying to do. And sometimes I've really needed their help and guidance as to what that might be and what I should be doing, like a sounding board um, in that sense. For me, the, those those great leaders that I've worked with, they've been people who have believed in me when I've not believed in myself. And I struggle I have periodically struggled with that sense of self-belief and they have been there and given words of wisdom or guidance or support at times when I needed it the most in that sense of, well, you can, you can do it. You can make it work and I'm going to help you and I'm going to encourage you to thrive. I'm sure everybody's worked with people Um, leaders managers sometimes you feel like they are not invested in you winning they are invested in Mm -hmm. winning themselves Mm -hmm. and for me those great leaders that I've worked with have been a hundred percent invested in my success and me winning and wanting to do anything they can to help me do that and they've also been great leaders that I've seen really stand up for uh, themselves and also really sort of stand up for what they believe in. It's a really authentic version of leadership. And that's really that's really stayed with me, that level of authenticity. And don't be afraid to say what you think. You can be a thought leader in that sense. And you can go against the grain a bit even within an organisation. And I think that comes a bit from being in the world of learning and development. The leaders I'm thinking of are people I've worked with in my learning and development roles And sometimes as a function, it's one that is personally, in my opinion, underappreciated and under-resourced. But I would say that as I'm biased. But it's, it's often just one of those roles where you don't have quite the tangible, measurable data that you can, that other people can use to justify your existence and justify investment. So I see leaders in those roles have to really stand up for what they believe in and really kind of convince people and bring them on the journey. And stakeholder management is just a massive skill within that world. So those are, I guess, specifically leaders that um, I've worked with and their kind of qualities and skills that I've I've tried to pinch with pride is the classic phrase. I've tried to <laughs> keep close to my heart. And actually on reflection, you just realise how grateful you are to have those people around you. You don't you don't forget a great leader and you don't forget the impact and influence that they've they've had on you. Yeah. And I think as well, the there's like further benefits of a great leader because I think it actually makes you want to give back more as well. If you've received all that help, it's like a virtuous circle. You know, and I think the hard thing to do is breaking the cycle when you've had no support or it's been a terrible experience because that toxicity can be quite damaging and it can happen quite quickly. And I have seen that, like just sort of keeping my eyes and ears on the ground in the scale up scene in London. It can change quite quickly if people have bad management and bad leaders in there and then it all sort of crumbles. And it's almost like behaviors get justified of like bad behaviors. 
So, you know, being a strong enough person to actually be like, no, I'm not going to behave that way, even if everyone else is, that's really tough to do. It is, it is. And then that idea for me, like I have got really strong set of values and beliefs and they do drive my behavior a lot. Um, so for me, if it gets to a point where a culture for lots of reasons, corporate reasons where companies get taken over, leadership changes, et cetera, mm. the culture shifts and suddenly I'm not aligned with that culture. And what I've been fortunate enough, because I think you are privileged if you can step back and go, this isn't working for me, actually, and I need to leave. Some people don't have that choice. They don't have that option. Um, I've always made sure I've got a real breadth of skills and knowledge so that I never felt unsafe if I tried to leave or go for a new job. I didn't feel like there was a risk um, at the times that I've done it. But those are the markers when the culture just doesn't align with you anymore. And cultures do shift. They do change. And like you said, with a startup, it's a different company every 90 days. Yeah, um, That culture really is going to ebb and flow and shift in ways that sometimes you can tolerate, going back to that question, and some things you just can't tolerate. And rather than sit and complain about it not working anymore and it's a toxic culture and I don't like it, I'm like, no, I'm not just going to sit here and let it happen to me. I'll just get up and go. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, that is, as you say, a privileged position, but Mm -hmm. I mean, you always do have more options than you think. And I think what's interesting is that often when I am working, say like with coaching clients, when you're in a bit of a tense spot or there's a bit of pressure on you, or, you know, you're feeling a bit down, I suppose sometimes, you know, because of what's happened, you can almost limit the amount of choices that you can feasibly contain in your head. And they actually did some research about the pandemic And a lot of people found that they were unable to think strategically because they were thinking from such a panicked place. And so apparently your neofrontal cortex just shuts down because you're Mm -hmm. obviously in fight or flight and you're trying to survive. And so a lot of people just couldn't think strategically. And I remember it came back to me, like being able to think longer term about, I don't know, it was maybe a couple of months into the pandemic. And I was like, where has this been? And it just makes you realise that actually... You know, sometimes when you're in that environment, sometimes the best thing is to get out because you can't actually see all the opportunities that are available to you when you're in such a difficult spot. Uh, you're, I mean, and the other research is, isn't it, about stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline. They actually inhibit your ability to find solutions. Yeah. They inhibit your brain's function in that sense because you are just in fight or flight survival mode. And it's panic and it's run or it's get eaten by a tiger kind of vibes. And you have to <laughs> yeah, or freeze. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that sure. fight, flight or freeze. But it is really hard. And I think that's the thing about, you know, we're talking about digital leadership in the digital world. And we're talking about people who potentially are remote first organizations and you work solely from home. And there for me is an element of there's so many benefits to that way of working that I'm hugely passionate about. But There's also an element of I'm in the same building, I'm in the same four walls, this is the place that I sleep, this is the place that I eat, this is the place where I shout at my children to put their shoes on in the morning and get out the house. This is the place where all that happens and it's also the place where I need to be professional and suddenly I need to be creative and find new solutions. And obviously in the pandemic, you couldn't go anywhere other than a walk on your own, maybe with a mate at one point. And those were actually really powerful opportunities, I think, to help you think about moving forward, go for a walk. Physically moving forward can help you feel like you're moving forward and find those solutions. But now I'm fortunate enough 
when I know I need to be creative, I know I need to think differently about something, I go sit somewhere else. I take myself out. I do that thing where you sit in a coffee shop on your computer because you need to break the space sometimes. And Mm. presenteeism in an office prevents that. But then also presenteeism behind a camera on a screen in Zoom or Teams or whatever platform you use why can't we go and sit somewhere else and do it? We have that flexibility and freedom, hopefully. But it's a thing you have to be deliberate about now, I think, and go, my brain is just, it's not working, rather than getting frustrated and hitting a wall time and time again. What can you change about your environment? I call it jiggling. How can you jiggle yourself? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, because I always feel a little bit stuck. And I'm like, right, I need a jiggle. What can I do to jiggle myself? Be that, go for a walk or go to a coffee shop, as you say, or like exercise, because as a, you know, there's so much research now, especially you've got to remember as well that all the technology advancements has meant that they have more ability to scan the brain and work out what's going on underneath the surface. Like, you know, a hundred years ago, the only way they could work out what's going on in your brain is opening it up. Like it's (laughs) terrifying. (laughs) We've come so far. And, you know, they've, it's basically like, if you do nothing else, sleep well, and do cardio three times a week. That is literally like the golden rule and not like a huge amount. It's literally 30 minutes yep. of cardio three times a week and sleep really well and stay hydrated and your brain will be pretty good until like quite old, really, basically. Oh, and there's so many benefits, isn't there? We always talk about happy hormones and endorphins from exercise, but it physically helps your body dump adrenaline and cortisol. Like it uh-huh. dumps it from your body. So, And the increased blood flow increases creativity into your brain as well. It's amazing. I do a lot at the moment of like 6 a.m. exercise classes, which is painful (laughs) when the alarm goes off at 5.30 in the morning. But my goodness, I feel so much better. I have such an infinitely more productive day um, full of solutions and full of this, you know, the flow theory. When you talk about Mm -hmm. being in a state of flow, what I've seen as a pattern for me now is that I feel that and I experience that, which is my peak performance, really, when I've got up early and done some exercise. It, it is mm. so painful to drag yourself there. But for me, that's that flow, that that unstoppable, I can achieve anything attitude really dials up for me if I've got myself up. I mean, it dwindles. You get to eight o'clock in the evening and you're battling bedtime with three small children and you haven't had any dinner yet. Um, then that's a challenge. Um, by then I'm knackered, but it makes you sleep better as well. And it, you know, yeah. it's a massively beneficial cycle. So I, I, I totally, uh, you know, <laughs> have mad respect for waking up at 5 30 in the morning i mean you've already achieved something just by waking up that early if i'm exactly. honest <laughs> you do feel really smug you're like i'm in smug mode all day um, because i've done that i've done my exercise you're just getting out of bed and i've already exercised for an hour do you want to know where you are on your leadership development journey well here at the still loading podcast we have combined the best insights and expertise from our guests and the best practices and tips and tools that we use with our clients today and created a free resource for you the wheel of digital leadership life so that you can assess where you are today and where you need to get to in order to be a great leader for the digital age the link is in the description box below where you can get your hands on it and also So please do like and subscribe and share this podcast with people that you think would really benefit from it. It helps us to find more people and to help more people become leaders fit for the digital age. Thanks. 
Well, I'd love to know a little bit more about your own leadership development journey, like, you know, a story or an incident or something that was meaningful for you that sort of helped you along. There's loads. I know we talk about this. I personally, I do a lot of personal reflection and I like to think I'm fairly self-aware. I know I'm a really externally motivated and driven person. So what for me, when I've reflected on this, it's got a lot to do with other people um, Mm -hmm. around me at the right time. Again, lending me that sort of belief in myself. And I remember in my main employer where I spent many a wonderful year um, and I was at the time I was a store manager um, so a retail manager but it was an environment where you had tons of autonomy and in your store and your team you saw your boss like once a month once every couple of months so you had loads of autonomy to kind of get the job done but you had clear targets and you had loads of this stuff to keep you going and then loved that job loved it and they did for the first time I think up to that point, being a regional manager in the business looked like a job that you would never get like that, that those roles never come up. There's only like 10 of them. They no one ever leaves. No one moves on. um, And that felt like your pipeline for progression had kind of stopped. So what they did at the time was invest in. Um, what was called a regional manager development program. And I was very much actively encouraged by someone who is just a wonderful human being. He's got the nicest, kindest heart. And he really encouraged me to go for it. I talked myself out of applying for the program because I thought, I don't even know if I want to be a regional manager. Why do I want to go on this program? It seems like a really hard job. And then he really talked me around and encouraged me to put my name in the hat. And I did. And I got a place on this program. And it was one of the best things, really, because then it was run by an external trainer. There was big investment in it. And that was in an organization where there isn't loads of money sloshing around. Right. We made our pounds work really hard for us. So it was a big investment. And I wasn't a regional manager. I didn't know if I even wanted to be a regional manager at that point in time. But they were investing in me and a a nice group of us. Um, giving us the skills and knowledge before you do the job. And this is the bit that's essential for me. This is the bit that's often overlooked or missed. We Lots of companies have, you know, development, leadership and management development programs. How often are we investing in people before they get there? How often are you identifying your future talent? We might invest in our leadership teams and coaching for our senior execs, etc. But we shouldn't forget about the people who are aspiring, maybe not even aspiring to be a leader, but they've got some great qualities and great potential. And we should just invest in those people because they're great and we want them to stay. So for me, it was that investment Help me at a time to go, oh, maybe I can do this, actually. Maybe I am cut out for this. And I really enjoyed that program specifically. I really enjoyed the learning. But I think the main thing was the connecting with other people who were in a Mm. similar position to me. It was a phenomenally successful program. I think at least 50% of us became regional managers. A couple of people whilst the program was ongoing. Myself, it was just after the program had finished. The opportunity came up. So, you know, that's a business that's anticipated there's going to be change. There's going to be movement at that level. And we're not ready. Our people are not ready. Let's upskill them. Let's invest and get them ready so they can hit the ground running because you're always trying 
in that world, I think, to reduce the lag. There's always a lag when someone's promoted or someone is newly hired into an organisation. There's a lag. And how long do you want that lag to be when they can actually start being productive and having an impact and making a difference? And if you've invested in training them up before they get there or giving them a great onboarding experience before they walk through the door, the lag is greatly reduced and that just yeah. makes sense financially from a performance perspective and from a well-being and engagement and motivation perspective. So I think that was something I reflected on being trained before I was actually doing the role it means you can find the talent potentially, the talent that doesn't yeah. realise it's even there. And I was coached. I can't not plug coaching at this time. <laughs> so part of that programme was I was coached and I had a revelation moment of going, ah, oh, I I was told I don't have confidence. I need to be more confident. And actually, I've always been quite a confident communicator. I was very confident running a successful store with a successful team. But I, it was reframed and it wasn't confidence, it was self-belief. And for me, that was a big change at a time when I thought I lacked confidence when actually I lacked self-belief. And there's also the things that don't help you, I think, at that point. I definitely had a lot of feedback about my physical presence in a world of leadership. And <laughs> I reflect on it now a lot because I do a lot of virtual delivery now. So nobody knows. I could be six foot. I could be four foot. Nobody really knows. They just see you from here upwards. When I meet people face to face for the first time after interacting with them virtually, almost universally, everyone goes, you're a lot smaller than I thought you were. I'm five foot one-ish. Um, and <laughs> I take that as a real compliment <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Because I think it means my presence online, at least, is making you think I'm physically bigger than I am. Like I'm gonna, I take up more space than I actually do. Whereas I've always been told that I lacked presence physically. And I was like, well, I can't change how tall I am but you know so there's something that didn't help me as well <laughs> yeah and I think that kind of lends itself to like what I kind of like research and study about how in a sense leadership thinking evolves leadership thinking like it moves forward you know that's why this podcast exists right like at the end of the day it's called still loading because we're never quite finished but also because it is a you know nod to the fact we're in a digital world so the way that we show up as leaders is slightly different so like you say that old antiquated thing of, you know, you've got to physically be bigger and stand tall and broad shoulders and all that stuff. It's great if you're in front of people, that's kind of a, a sign that you're, you know, physically taking up the space. But if you're on online, it's actually very different. And actually things that connect with people online are authenticity and being genuine. And instead of being like, I am presenting to you, da, 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 you're actually just being yourself, talking, showing kind of like your uh, fallibility and, and your normalness in, in some respects, whilst also being an expert, 100%. But, you know, there's different nuances. It's a different flavour of leadership. And, you know, like we discussed earlier in, in the episode now, you know, the ways of working are much different. We're at home a lot more. We're working from home. That's a different form of leadership. This remote leadership, which you and I, you know, collaborate on and, and deliver to other, you know, companies, it's a different skill set. It, the fundamentals are the same. You're a human being, they're a human being, being able to communicate well, tell a good story and manage someone. That's the, that's the same. But mm -hmm. the way, the modality, the, the kind of style is different. 
And I think that's the bit that fascinates me. And and how does how are we going to see that evolve over the next few years? I'm excited to see. I'm excited to continue working in this space. But yeah, I just that it just shows you just from that example how far we've come along. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, like you say, it's the methods and the ways. But then what I do see in my line of work is there's still a big kind of demand and need for the same traditional soft skills that you would imagine. It's Mm. just applying them to a different environment. And sometimes that's a big change. And actually, in reality, sometimes the change is actually really small and we make it a bigger deal. You know, everyone's gone nuts about, oh, because now we work from home and how do we do this remotely and how do we build engagement? And there are companies who've been doing this for a long time. There are yeah. companies who are <laughs> yeah. international and don't physically see each other and they're still successful. They still make it happen. And people who work yeah. in those organisations must just be sitting back and laughing at everyone else going, oh, I don't know how to do it virtually. You're like, well, we've been doing it forever. Um, <laughs> yeah, there are. And like I said, it's more just, I guess it's always bringing that awareness, right? It's like what you said with the, you know, not first of all, not many companies do pre-invest in their management before they're about to be there. So I think that's a great point you make. That's an opportunity for any company, especially as we're going through a bit of a fluctuation with the economy. Like what can you do to pre-invest so that, you know, by the spring of 2023, your talent are ready to take on the next like level of your growth and, and, uh, you know, as a company, but also the management and training that you need to give to your people, it really does need to be in the flow of work. It can't be a standalone thing. It's got to be so people can have it, use it, apply it, embed it, move on, do the next thing and just keep on really, I don't know, supporting your people remotely, hybridly, in person, whatever. But, you know, that investment is key, I think, for most companies nowadays. Absolutely. And you've got to be so close to your people to understand what in the flow of work means for them. And when mm-hmm. when works physically, you know, there's there's the whole even just scheduling it and making it fit with diaries and calendars, um, making the time to do it and committing to that and investing in that. Yeah, there's just so much that you can do to make. I think it's about reducing friction, isn't it? It's about making it mm. as easy as possible. I'm I'm 100% believer in investing in those people before they get there or whilst they're getting there, you know, that big transition, that big change, because they are your future senior leaders. Um, and, but I also think there needs to be some grown up conversations about people won't stay in the organisation forever. So we mm. can see them as retention tools. Yes. I believe in that also. Um, but we should just invest in people because we care about people. We should yeah. just invest in them because we want them to do well. Those are the things that have really worked for me. And they have kept me in organizations maybe longer than I should have been there. But they have also helped me get ready for the next step and see those roles as training grounds for whatever is going to come next. And I think there's a grown up conversation around investing in people doesn't mean we're only doing it because we want them to stay here forevermore. I think people should be allowed to move on and go with skills that are life skills. They are things that are going to help them for the rest of their professional lives, not just whilst they're here in this bubble. And yeah, the approach to it, you know, as we know from working together and It's about really working so closely with a client 
They need mm-hmm. to understand what challenges are coming, the future anticipated kind of challenges. If you try and operate in a, let's just fix the problems that we have right in front of us now, we can do that and we can help. But will we see long-term behavioral change? Will you see long-term performance like enhancements? Um, you've got to anticipate. It's always a big investment. It's always a big yeah. investment financially. Make it count now and in one or two or three years' time as much as you can possibly anticipate although the world just loves throwing unexpected stuff at us at the moment doesn't it so oh yeah (laughs) but I mean definitely from you know our experience that's why we were passionate about speaking to you know the CEO like of our of the client that we work with because we just wanted to know that strategic vision so we can align it I think you're right it's it's just making sure it all sort of adds up so rather than seeing L&D or training or leadership and development management training whatever as a kind of oh it's a cost Think of it as actually an investment. And if it is an investment, you need to work really closely with your provider so that they have exactly what you're trying to achieve and you can actually align together in the same direction. Because I think too often there is kind of like just bring in some training. It's really just, a you know, modules. They're not aligned. They're not in the voice of your company. They're not in the style of your company. They're just, you know, off the shelf, which is fine. Absolutely fine if that's what you want to do. But Maybe put stuff around it if you're going to just do off-the-shelf stuff. Mm. So you've got internal coaching or internal groups or, you know, communities of practice that can help work out how does this make a difference to us achieving what we want to achieve as a business? Absolutely. And that's what we're seeing, right? We talk about, that's what I'm seeing anyway, with that multiple clients, there's a need for largely virtual kind of facilitated soft skills sessions where some learning takes place. But what we hang around that, you know, and everyone's been in the world of L&D has talked about blended learning forever. And the pandemic kind of made us do one swing to the other. And then now what I what where I I can only speak about what I do, I guess, and what I'm asked to do. And we're seeing those virtually delivered programs. We're seeing a genuine mix. I wouldn't even call it hybrid just mix of um, some face to face and some virtual delivery. But we know that the face-to-face delivery has a purpose. There's Mm -hmm. a reason we're doing this face-to-face is to enhance the impact, the stickiness of that content, you know, make it stick and make, make it count. But then we're also incorporating group coaching, team coaching, one-to-one coaching. The best ones are where it's sort of diagnosed almost that there's these people on the program they benefit from one-to-one coaching so we'll get you a one-to-one coach these people need some group coaching and we will do that together and that is where we start to make it relevant and help people connect individually with the content for a start so when you're in a mass experience even the world's best facilitators are going to struggle to make it fit for every single person around that virtual table at that moment in time. Whereas if the coaching sessions as a facilitator and coach is an absolute dream for me, because that's where I start to be able to help them connect and support them and guide them to connect with it themselves. And then you're really empowering people to continue to perform for you moving forwards. You are enabling them to find their own solutions but the byproduct and is a genuine 
need and an ask from organizations when you start that process with a client of what do you need this to deliver what would you like you know what are the outcomes it's connection it's networking because we miss that in our virtual worlds mm-hmm. in our digital yeah. first worlds so that's a genuine outcome you can't necessarily put money on that you can't put your finger on exactly what value that's added to me as an organization but that is something that people are asking for. And I get learner feedback about that at the end of programs where they say one of the best things was because being a new manager, being any manager or leader, especially a new one in a virtual world can feel very lonely. You can feel really isolated. It's a hard role anyway. There's a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. And I think a lot of organizations expect a huge amount from their people, leaders and managers. So it can feel lonely. It can feel isolating. You can feel like the only person who's thinking and feeling what you're feeling and struggling with what you're struggling with. And you can spiral really quickly then on your own, in your own head, in your own home. So enabling them to come together and do some troubleshooting and sort of talk through their specific challenges in a confidential space, which is what a coaching space is. We protect client confidentiality, even in group coaching, even within organizations or respect that confidentiality. And um, you enable them to support each other and challenge each other, guide each other. Um, They become coaches for each other. And those are relationships and skills that last way beyond my my intervention and my presence with them. And that genuinely for me is what I want to create. I don't want them to be dependent on me, right? It's not very business savvy, is it? But I don't want them to be dependent on me. I want to set them up for success independently moving forwards and that is the rewarding most joyful thing I think that I get to do so that's a bit of a I wouldn't know if it's a trend or not right I can only base it on what I see and what I'm being asked to do for multiple clients but those are the programs I'm seeing have the most impact no I I totally agree I I would wonder as well if um you know, that connection could be measured with retention because if people feel more connected uh, and like that they have a, you know, an actual shared cohort of people who they can talk to, that would probably be one thing you could measure. And maybe, maybe employee MPS, like surveys and stuff, like people would feel better about being there. Yeah. Like there's, I've done, I've been the other side of those sorts of surveys, as I'm sure you have. Well, yeah. and I've asked those <laughs> questions. And one that stands out to me is, is I have a friend at work. This was the yeah. question on the survey. Um, and actually that there was a Gallup survey recently that said, if you have a bestie at work, you're more likely to be more productive and actually stay longer in the organization. I think it's quite a, a quite a significant margin as well. So yeah, having a friend at work is, is a huge thing. Mm. Well, we are nearly at the end here. So I'm always, we've talked about the trends that you're seeing in your work. So thank mm-hmm. you for that. No worries. So I guess now wrapping up, what are your three top tips oh. for leaders in the digital age? And I know three is only, you know, a small amount, but yeah. it'd be great to get your point of view. And I have written them down. So, cause I knew I'd at risk of just going off on all a million tangents <laughs> and it alludes to a lot of stuff. So if, if you see me glancing down, that's why. Um, it alludes to a lot that we've already talked about. So I think we've covered it. For me, it is about putting the person, the human element back into what we do. We Everything mm-hmm. can feel 
like it is a lack of ironically in a digital world everything is there's personalization to the nth degree right in your ads and things that bombard you in your social media platforms for example but everything can feel incredibly impersonal on the other side of a screen and we see and i know you and i've talked about this and you've taught me a lot about this the keyboard warrior thing where i'm detached from it so i can say what i want because the emotion i don't have to see how it lands i don't have to see the emotions it creates in others and that is a risk i think in a digital first leadership environment um, we can be di- very quickly disconnected from that human element so for me it's about putting the it's going to sound super fluffy but I'm really passionate about this putting the kindness back in put the caring back in and what does that look like practically that to me practically looks like meet with people to not talk about work I'm sure mm. we try to do this make time if it's five or 10 minutes once a week to meet with everybody in your team and just say, how are you? How are you feeling? How are you really? And ask that extra layer of depth. How are you really feeling? You can just get a bit more out of them and that is going to help you support and guide them to perform better. So there is a business need for it, but it sounds fluffy, but just that human centered bit of kindness that I think we would all benefit from and showing people that you care simple as five or 10 minutes a week in my opinion the other one I've got here is seeing the digital world and I'm getting this a bit from from clients as well we've got to see it as a um, digital platforms as a kind of a leveler like open your mind and go this is not a problem this is an opportunity there aren't it's not a barrier it doesn't create problems it actually gets rid of a huge amount of problems if we can do digital first leadership. I think about when I was trying to do it and I was a remote manager, but it was in the field and I had 20 stores that I oversaw as a regional manager and they were spread over a geographical area. And my only way of communicating with them was to drive for hours to go and see them or it was to talk to them on the phone. And now we just have so many better ways to connect and communicate. And for me, I think great digital leadership is about seeing it as a leveler and using it as an opportunity to increase the diversity within your team. A digital first working environment works to the advantage of a lot of people for whom the traditional nine to five go to an office and commute every day did not work for. And for me, I think you need to see this as a way of really opening up your own mind, tackling some of potentially your own unconscious biases and making sure that you incorporate a much more diverse range of talent within your team because they're, the opportunity from a recruitment perspective is there is just there should be more people out there that can come to your team and really benefit you. It can be thought diversity as well, right, in terms of people who think differently to you. So don't ever forget that, I think. And then my final thing is about looking after your own well-being. And you will hear, I hear this all the time. Self-care, as a mum, make sure you can't pour from an empty cup, put your own oxygen mask on first. (laughs) All of this stuff is brilliant. And what does self-care look like as a mum? Run a bubble bath, put a face mask on, blah, blah, blah. It's not always possible. It's not always practical believe you me I'm not here to sit I'm not here to tell you to just go and 
do all the kind of meditation and have all this time and space and freedom. But I do want you to think about your own well-being if you're a leader in the digital space. We talked about this. It can feel very lonely. It can feel very isolating. So find ways to connect with your peers. If you're not on a program that's as wonderful as the one that Alona and I design and deliver, um, where you get that opportunity, go find the opportunity to connect with your peers to build your network internally within your organization. It might even be externally. Look for other people in a similar role, similar position, similar levels of experience to you and just connect. Have those kind of, it sounds cheesy, but that thing called a curiosity coffee, call it what you like, but those are really powerful little 10 minute meetings you can have where you just connect with someone and feel less alone. So look after your own well-being and really part of that for me I'm gonna get it in there as a last little thing get yourself a coach having a coach can be (laughs) so powerful and so impactful it really really can if you're struggling with anything around some self-limiting beliefs and things are holding you back and you keep overdoing things in your own head you feel a bit stuck a coach can really help you get clarity and focus to help you move forward so that's always my bit of advice for any leader or manager if you can get one Brilliant. Thank you, Nick. And how can people get in contact with you to ask about your amazing coaching skills? What a question. Um, I am increasing my presence, I guess, on on LinkedIn um, at the moment. But the best way for now is just like a direct email, I would say, which is Nick, N-I-C. That's Nick. Lots of people think I'm a boy before they meet me. Um, I'm a Nick, Nicola. So Nick, N-I-C at seedscoaching co.uk and um, seeds coaching because I'm a very passionate allotment owner gardener um <laughs> that's a story for another podcast another <laughs> podcast episode yes absolutely and I'll put the link to uh I'll put the email address in the description box below um, and also a link to your LinkedIn and I'm sure a website will be launching very soon absolutely it's all in the pipeline it's very close to, to going live it's a very exciting time of change and um, very exciting Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for joining me today and for sharing your own leadership development journey and your wisdom in this area and wishing you all the luck and success with Nick at seedscoaching.co.uk. Thank you for letting me ramble on. I really enjoyed it. (laughs) Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Still Loading Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about the leadership development programs we can offer you, you need to contact Slate Digital. We cater for everyone who needs to have leadership development in their rapidly scaling organizations. We specialize in remote and hybrid leadership, and we can't wait to hear from you. If you've liked the podcast and found it useful, please do share it with your friends, your colleagues, anyone you think who might benefit from from being a better leader in the digital age. Bye for now.